Hi, this is Joe Sims, and you are listening to the Sirens of Audio. Incoming message from Cyber Control. Decoding. Message received. Harry Sullivan is an imbecile. Huh? G'day audiophiles, you are listening to the Sirens of Audio, the podcast that explores the universe of Doctor Who in the audio medium. My name is Dwayne and this fella here is... Philip, g'day audiophiles, good to have you along. Mate, we have got a great show lined up, we're very excited to uh, have Sadie Miller joining us for this episode, she's going to be talking to us about reprising the role of, or recreating the role of Sarah Jane Smith uh, for Big Finish, and we're going to be chatting with her about that, some memories of her mum. At the time of recording, uh, Return of the Cybermen has been released, but by the time you see this, um, the third Doctor box set will be out too, so that's pretty exciting, isn't it, Phil? It is. So I enjoyed the Return of the Cybermen a lot. Um, it was yeah, and I, I like the little cast they put together. So Tom Baker has really bounced off really well with the the new Harry, the new Sarah. So they sound good together. So looking forward to hopefully getting a few more stories with that that team together, which I think is probably one of the best Tardis teams ever. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I love Christopher Nail as Harry. Uh, I'm looking forward to lots more from him if we can get him back for some more. We've we've had some recent announcements too of of Tom Baker stories or Fourth Doctor stories for for years in advance. So they're they're really getting the news out early with some of these. Uh, but as far as uh, this Tardis team goes, Sadie Miller sounds fantastic. Of course, she's not going to sound exactly like Elizabeth Sladen, but she has to my mind, a, a distinct advantage in, in that she's got the genes. So certain inflections that come out, you can tell they're genetic, which I think that gives her a slight advantage over someone else who might be trying to characterise uh, the character. So uh, I don't know, what did you think of that? Did you pick up on those slight genetic inflections uh, throughout the episode? Yes, I think there's a number of phrases she uses which just sound so much like Sarah. Um, I mean, yeah, there's, there's lots of times in which she, she's not trying to imitate her mum. She's not trying to, to do the voice. But there's still certain times, certain you know, things she says to both the Doctor and Harry that sound just like you know, her mother did and would have yeah. said the lines. So those yeah, those moments are great. Um, but I think she's capturing what Sarah's on about in terms of who Sarah was as a character. And so I think there's some good opportunities for the future. We'll see what the uh, but, other people think. Yeah, Exactly. But before we get to our chat with Sadie, do you see what's up ahead, Philip? Do you see it? Do it you see like it coming hole. straight for you? It's oh, a rabbit no. hole. Let's go. <laughs> Fantastic. We are here. We are in the rabbit hole. And for something a little bit different this time, I thought we could talk about not audio stuff. We could talk about the TV series. What do you think about that, Philip? I'm you didn't expect me to say that, did you? I didn't. I don't expect anything for you to say. It's one of the things I'm never sure what on earth you're going to say. But so I always love talking the show. What I was thinking was, before before I came on to record this with you tonight, I was I was actually watching The Time Monster. I've got Brickbox, so I, um, I, I flick over to Doctor Who sometimes and watch a bit of Doctor Who. So I thought... I'd watch a bit of John Pertwee. The Time Monster is what I was watching. And I always find The Time Monster is a bit of a guilty pleasure of mine. Uh, it's it's one that's not very highly regarded uh, by fans, but it's always one that I find myself really enjoying. So I wanted to go through a few stories, perhaps just the classic series, that are our own guilty pleasures that may not be popular. Do you have some of those, Philip? Well, can I say, yeah, I think you're dead right with the Time Monster. I can never understand why it's not more popular because there are some amazing scenes in it. 
yeah, so I've always I've always loved the Time Monster. I think Ingrid Pitt is just a scream in the last two episodes. She makes me laugh. Um, and, and maybe mm. maybe that's why fans don't like it, because she's just so over the top and just utterly crazy. But that oh, just I makes could look at laugh. her all day. I could look Worry. at her all day, Philip. Yeah, it's a subtle costume she wears. <laughs> Quite um, subtle. Quite subtle. <laughs> I'm not sure. But I think they must have been expecting someone much smaller uh, in statue to take the role when they designed the costume and then worked out they had to somehow squeeze her into this. Uh, well, that's um, that's, uh, that's one uh, for me. Uh, let, let me go through some, some others and then I'll, I'll let you think about yours while I go through mine. So for the first Doctor, my my guilty pleasure that's not so highly regarded by the fans is The Keys of Mariner. So I absolutely love that story, although it's probably not so low on the popularity. It's probably more 50-50 in fandom. But I'm one of the ones that absolutely adore the Keys of Mariner. So I can, it just flies by. I don't find it. Um, uh, yes, it's. You can see where its flaws. You can see how it can easily be criticised. But I just love it. Absolutely love it. And I'll tell you the one that the the, the popular ones that I, that I that everyone loves. But I find a little bit difficult to to get into. I find um, for the first Doctor, I find the Dalek Invasion of Earth. Uh, very difficult to get into. Uh, oh, I just, really? I just don't like it. I always go for the Daleks over Dalek Invasion of Earth. So I, I really struggle with it. I struggle with it. I want to love it. I love the movie version. There's just something, I don't know whether it's Richard Martin's direction or whatever, but there's one that fans love that I don't. So as far as the second Doctor goes, one that the fans... Okay, well, how, how about I give my first Doctor while we... All right, you go doctor. for it, go for it. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to give The Gunfighters, which, mind oh. you, I think it's 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 changed views, I think, more recently. It used to be hated, but I, I it, think it's really leveled out these days. It was so hated, and I remember mm. reading everything about The Gunfighters, and then watching it for the first time on some scratchy copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, and thinking, I've enjoyed it. It's brilliant. <laughs> and and people, people bag out Dodo, and I, I like Dodo. I really yep. enjoy her. And, yeah, you know, she's good. Are, are there issues? Yes, there are. But that's production issues in terms of what voice they want to have or what accent they want to have. But, you know, in the, all throughout the Gunfighter, she is hilarious. She's well-constructed. She takes the lead. When she gets kidnapped, she's still strong and no nonsense. Uh, I just I think she was badly served. Um, but fan opinion on Dodo and the Gunfighters, and the, I think the Battle of the Last Chance Saloon, I think that works throughout as well, really well. It does. It's a comedy. It's it it's is. one of the classic Hartnell historical comedies, and there's a, and at least three hit, of them that I can think of off the top of my head, and they're great. And he hits three. every mark spot on. Like, you yep. know, once again, it's supposed to be the decline of William Hartnell at that point. Um, yeah, I He's think great in it. Yeah, I mean, I've mentioned before in terms of the massacre, uh, that you know, he is word perfect. There's no ums, no ahs, no monsters. Yeah, you know, in that stuff. I think when we were talking to Peter Purvis, um, I was asking him in terms of what he thought because he was spot on with the massacre. And you know, Gunfighter's another one, just spot on. Everywhere should be right on. Okay, second Doctor Dwayne. Second Doctor. Okay, so I'll tell you the one that the fans all pretty much universally love, but I can't get into, and that is the Web of Fear. Sorry about that. Everyone loves the Web of Fear, but I just find it a little bit boring. Um, there are some beautiful moments in it. I think episode one is the best episode of the whole six episodes. It's, it's brilliant. It's so moody. It's so atmospheric. But then it just falls away. Um, there's a great action scene in episode four. But apart from that, it's very talky. It's very it's overly long. And I just don't find the acting very exciting. So that's me, Web of Fear. The one that I do love that is universally despised is The Underwater Menace. Uh, and the reason I probably like that is because I was privileged to uh, do the interview uh, with Joseph first for Loose Cannon. So many years ago, I was able to get together with Joseph and and have a good chat with him and, and do a bit of recording for that um, Loose Cannon release. And um, so it's got a very uh, dear place in my heart, that particular story. Uh, particularly Joseph First. I, I love him after having met him and spent some time with him. So uh, I can see the flaws in The Underwater Menace, but I still think it's a lot of fun. Patrick Troughton is still in his fun phase. He's still mucking about, dressing up as, you know, as a woman and running around, you know, doing crazy things. So, yeah, that's me. Joseph First, Ingrid P. 
pit, I see a bit of a link there in performance style. So there you go. <laughs> and Web of Fear, you're just wrong, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in terms of Second Doctor for me, one, one that I think gets panned, and I think is actually much better than fans give credit. Actually, I, I will just give an honourable mention to uh, Enemy of the World, which everyone didn't think was any good. And then once we got it back to the stories, we went, it is magnificent. Like, yep. what an amazing piece of television, which Be- we just didn't get. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it is stunning. But, and that was hated by fans, because the only episode we had was three, which wasn't the best one. It's, it's no, the weakest of all the episodes. True. But in its context, it's actually better. Um, but the episode that I think the fans hate, but I still enjoy, is The Crotons, which I think has a, a lot of good moments in it. Uh, Do- uh, no, Zoe is smart, intelligent, the way she makes fun of the Doctor. Um, I just think how the main three play off each other. There are some issues with it, uh, which are more, once again, I think production issues, and that whole season was struggling to get anything up. So, um, but in terms of you know, Robert Holmes' first script, I think there's a lot more going for it than people give it credit for. We've dealt with the third Doctor and the Time Monster. Did you have one that you liked that's universally panned? I'm just thinking. Um, Ambassador of Death used to get panned a lot, and I think Ambassador of Death. Yeah, I think I think it's because it just it wasn't known. I think seven episodes is a big. I, I, I think Ambassadors comes in such a strong season with Inferno, Silurians, and Spearhead, which are three really classics. Like those three are all magnificent in different ways. I think Ambassador of Death gets lost a bit in that. I, I rated has, my has, top five third doctor stories recently for a podcast that was dealing with the third doctor's era and i voted everything from season seven as my top four and my fifth was invasion of the dinosaurs they're, they're my top five Pertwee, yeah so. well they're good choices yeah I, 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 find, <laughs> I find i find the third doctor very consistent throughout I, I, mm. not, not a lot of unbelievable standout classics but also no real fizzes either Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the other one that gets panned a bit is Colony in Space, but I enjoy that. I think that's another great one, too. Yeah. Okay, Fourth Doctor? Fourth Doctor, for me. Okay, the, I'll, I'll go with the one that's voted top that I never really understand why. I can see why, but I just don't comprehend it in my soul. And that's Genesis of the Daleks. Um, not because I'm not a fan of the Daleks so much, because the Daleks don't appear much in that. It's got a brilliant... Performance from Michael Wisher as Davros. Absolutely brilliant TARDIS team with Harry and Sarah, as we've already mentioned. But there's just something about it. There's the the design, I think, is very bleak, very bland. I think that grates on me, uh, watching that for six episodes. That I, I, ju- I just It just doesn't have the appeal for me that other stories do. So the one that's universally panned <laughs> by, by most fans that I adore and is my guilty pleasure is the creature from the pit. So I, uh, I I love the character stuff of that Douglas Adams era and Jeffrey Baldwin's performance in Creature from the Pit is, uh, it's a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing. And that's all I'll say about that. Well, I agree with Creature from the Pit. You're wrong about Genesis again, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, my guilty pleasure is actually from the same season. It would be The Horns of Narman. Which once again, I think it's paid a lot, but I, <laughs> I love the horns of Narman. It is so dude. Uh, it is so over the top, ridiculous. It is camp as. It is just. Uh, but the way that uh, Lala Ward and Graham plays, Crowden was the he was uh, he was in the running for Fourth Doctor, wasn't he? He was. I'm so glad he didn't get it. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't want it to be the, the, the fourth Doctor. But there's really amazing moments. I do think Lala Ward uh, as Romana, just she is the Doctor. She's the competent one. She does all the things. And, you know, and even the silly stuff like where he's, you know, Tom Baker's hugging K9 and the all the silly sound effects when things break, uh, which people pan. Yeah, it's fun and tongue-in-cheek and... It was bleak times in Britain at that stage. I think people need a bit of fun. And you know, when, when Big Finch brings the, the Narmon back in Seasons of Fear, you can actually see they have a potential for being really amazing enemies. I, actually, I, I want more Narmon. We need more Narmons. Fifth Doctor <laughs> Drain. All right, Fifth Doctor. Let me see. I'm going to choose one that's panned a little. Um, 
by fans, not so popular with fans. It's not Time Flight. No one likes Time Flight. It's um, it's Black Orchid. So I love historicals, and we've we've talked recently about the Fifth Doctor and historicals and how he really suits that setting. And I know a lot of fans didn't appreciate Black Orchid, but I did. I love it. It's beautiful. The colours are rich throughout. Sarah Sutton's got a great role, dual role, and um, the costumes are fantastic. I just love it. I just love the whole thing. I mean, it's not overly long, so, you, you know, even if the story's not perfect, you don't have to watch it for as long as the others. As far as a story that everyone likes that I don't, I don't really have one for The Fifth Doctor. I like them. I, all the all the really top-notch stories, they're all good. I thought you were going to take Caves of Androsani. Oh, no, no, no. That's probably my favourite. <laughs> probably well, you, my favourite. I mean, you're, but... you're, you're taking the best shows and saying they're no good, so I was just assuming you'd knock out Caves. No, excuse me. <laughs> I'm not saying they're no good. I do enjoy Genesis of the Daleks. I'm just saying that I don't rank it up there. Like, like Talons is my favourite for the Fourth Doctor. So Talons has got all the rich Victorian colours and depth to it and mystery. And Genesis is just bleak, you know? Anyway, what about you for the Fifth Doctor? Uh, well, actually, Black Orchids would probably be one of the ones. The other one is, I think, I still enjoy the King's Demon. Oh, uh, right. I think. I think that's I think that's a bit of fun. Once again, I love the history of it all. I think the actor who plays King John, uh, or comedian playing King John, is, is Gerald Flood, isn't it? It's really, yeah. really well done. Um, I mean, comedian doesn't work. I mean, I mean just, uh, just doesn't work. But it was a nice idea, a nice concept. If it, it, a person in a suit would have done a better job than probably doing what they did with poor comedian, because I think the whole idea of a shape-changing Doctor Companion, like Frobisher, uh, is a great idea, but I, I think there's some real adventure there. There's a bit of yeah, you know, bit of history. I think that that's been panned a lot more than it deserves to be. Six okay. Doctor, you got a bucket load of choices here. <laughs> well, actually, I've never minded the Twin Dilemma too much. Oh, so uh, <laughs> I can I can cope with it. But there's there's one that's that's panned as equally. Probably not quite so much as a twin dilemma, but uh, I, I like it quite a lot, and that's Time Lash. I really do enjoy Time Lash. I think Paul Darrow is ridiculously over the top, and that just makes me feel very happy when I watch him doing that performance. I think the Borad is a magnificent design uh, for a monster, and yeah, even though I think H.G. Uh, Wells, the H.G. Wells thing, he, he can he can look a bit silly and inept at times. Um, I don't mind it. I, I just like it. It's fun. Yeah, well, time lash. As far as, as far as, I beg your pardon. Snap that one. Time lash. I agree with. It has a good stuff in it. <laughs> there isn't any of the of Colin Baker's good ones that I dislike. I like them all. So I, I, I've always, he, he was kind of the Doctor that got me, really into Doctor Who fandom. It was the Revelation of the Daleks. That was the story that sort of. Uh, once I watched that, there was no ever turning back. So Colin Baker, in a way, is, is sort of my doctor. Uh, I think the, okay, the great, great tragedy is we actually don't have one more season because I think they were just starting to find the right swing for him. And I think once Eric Sword had gone and someone else has, had actually written for him, I think we would actually would have seen a much, much better season of what Colin could do. Yeah. Seventh Doctor? Uh, for me, it is Time and the Rani. I have a very <laughs> a close affection to that particular story because that was the one that I was eagerly waiting for. So particularly episode one, Time and the Rani, I was waiting for that. I was actually on a road trip somewhere. I was out in Lightning Ridge staying in a motel somewhere and I made my grandmother and my uncle who I was traveling with, made them stop and we, we all watched Time and the Rani episode one. It's got a heavy dose of nostalgia for me, so... Um, despite uh, its its accusations of Pip and Janeism, I I do enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. And in fact, that particular series, I've grown to enjoy more, a lot like season 17, I suppose. Over the years, I just enjoy it more and more. Well, Time of the Riley, actually, I don't think it's that bad. Uh, is it, the, one that, the one that I thought I liked was Delta and the Bannerman. And I recently rewatched it again and went, you know what? I don't like it. 
<laughs> um, that's one of the shows I actually went went backwards in my opinion of because I thought you know most you know, a lot of people panned Delta the Bannerman and I thought oh no I've always really enjoyed it and then I watched it recently and I went oh no I really don't like that um, I just found uh, it I'm, long and dull I'm glad that you said that because in this case you're wrong Delta and the Bannerman <laughs> is the best story it suits the Seventh Doctor and Mel for that season to AT it's, it's when the Doctor first hits his Seventh Doctor first really hits his stride as the Doctor, and uh, it's got some great stuff in it. So yeah, great. You're wrong. Good, but the the one I'd pick in terms, I think, which fans pan a bit is Silver Nemesis, and I right. find Silver Nemesis fantastic. It's fun. It's action packed. It's got amazing characters. It meets so many characters, which I think people complain about. It jumps all around time. It it obviously has faults and problems, but I think just to something to sit down, put on, and watch and enjoy. Silver Nemesis is a lot of fun. Yeah, the one thing I struggled with was the concept of the black magic time travel. I always found that difficult to kind of comprehend in the Doctor Who universe. It was like, you know, it doesn't sound very scientific to me. So I always struggled with that. But everything else in it, fantastic. Yeah. So that's it. That's it for... Uh, for what do we call that? These are stories that fans universally uh, dis- despise that uh, are secretly our guilty pleasures. So uh, let's jump out of the rabbit hole. We'll throw in a trailer for Return of the Cyberman and we'll be back in a moment with Sadie Miller. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who The Lost Stories, Return of the Cybermen. I wouldn't mind going home for a bit. Oh, don't be a drip, Harry. We have a whole universe to explore. Commander! Commander, you need to get up here. It's the plague. Captain Warner's got the plague. Back on good old space station, Nerva. Harry! Doctor! Sarah! What are you doing? Destroying our intruders. Ah! Seems you were right, old girl. Never miss the obvious, do you, Harry? Why do you want to kill us? Silence, Kelman, and put the gun away. I'm in command here. You too, Lester. His nerves... I can actually see all the nerves in his face. Black, swollen and branching like trees. I've seen this before. I know I have, but where? I've lost most of our crew from it. What all that's left now? And have you had medical help from Earth? What's your name? Sarah. No! Ah! Ah! Get off me! Anitra, what was that? A thing, a silver thing. Sick boy. Doctor, that's where we left Sarah. Let's go. You're not going anywhere. Listen to me! Let's try... Cybermat! Did I say that? Why would gold have any effect on these creatures? I'll show you. See him. Doctor! I'm thinking. Sarah's dangerously ill. Don't you care? Harry, of course I care, but we must do something now. Now look here. Shh, shh, shh. What's in those cupboards? Kelman! Doesn't your gun work? Of course it works. Cease firing. Fancy meeting you Cybermen like this. <laughs> we were not ready to meet you. What a pity. Help me! Come on, Harry! <laughs> That's incredible! It's moving! Doctor! Now, there's a cyber leader. You should have learned by now. Resistance is useless. Now, Sarah... Well, if you're just going to stand there, you don't mind if I start getting dressed, do you? Uh... <sighs> thought that might work. Forgive me, gentlemen. You you might possibly wonder what I'm doing under your table, but would you believe it? I'm a furniture inspector. He must be destroyed. No! (laughs) Goatse! We're all doomed. Oh, it's no good, Doctor. But there's only one thing, the gold dust. We need that for the Cybermen. We won't get to the Cybermen if we don't stop the Cybermats. A little optimism never hurt anyone. Hang on, I've got an idea. Now, don't you boys let me down. No, no! Silence! You have just 60 seconds to bring us back on course. You use that one's gun and join me. Together we can take the control room. Now, come on! We're getting really close to that asteroid. Yes, on any other day, it would probably be quite an impressive view. You cannot destroy me! I can think of nicer places to end up. So try to make sure we don't end up there, then! Big finish. We love stories. For this treachery, nobody leaves never. Well, welcome. It's great to have our special guest today. Um, 
in many ways, Sadie's known as Elizabeth Sladen's daughter, but she's got her own great little career happening as well in, in audios. She's uh, recreating her mother's parts, uh, or recreating Sarah Jane Smith for us, and uh, also some of the, the great earlier stuff she did with her work, uh, working with her mother in the Sarah Jane Smith audios from long ago. So welcome to Sadie Miller. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you, Philip. Well, it's great to have you, Sadie. Just, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself first, like you know, where you are and, and your family situation and things? Yeah, sure. Um, so um, at the moment, um, I'm living in a little village with my two little boys, my very wild little boys. They're only one and four, so they've been keeping me busy in the quarantine period. Um, and then work-wise, um, I've now stepped into the shoes, uh, mum's shoes for Sarah Jane Smith for Big Finish. Uh, which I balance with my my writing career. I do corporate uh, writing and fiction, um, and I also have a spiritual coaching business as well. So it's been super busy, but but brilliant. So it's lovely to talk to you today um, about Big Finish, especially. So you do a little bit of writing as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so at the moment, a lot of it is more uh, corporate based. So website content. If someone wants to blog for their website, but they don't necessarily want to write it themselves, I'll, I'll step in and do the content for them. Um, and also creative stuff. So um, I've written a couple of books. I'm working on on another one at the minute and some other collaborative projects with other writers because it gets quite lonely sitting at home all the time when you're own. So it's nice to, to chat to someone else and feel part of a tangible real, real world again. So that's been really fun. How do you balance writing with two young boys? Do you know what? It's actually not too bad because something like writing, you're normally working towards a deadline rather than doing sort of a nine to five. So although I have work to do, I get to decide when I do it. So I can compartmentalise quality time with my kids. And then when they go to bed or when the little one naps, then I can write. So it actually works out pretty, pretty well, really. So you grew up in a family with uh, two actors as parents. What was it like as an experience in terms of growing up in that sort of environment? Sure. Um, I mean, it's funny because even though obviously both of them are actors, um, Elizabeth Slade and Brian Miller, when I came along, my mum sort of semi-retired, really. So it was more like having an actor dad and then a stay-at-home mum. And it was only as I got a little bit older, kind of five, six years old, kind of going into school, going to the playground and hearing, you know, exterminate and all this kind of stuff I, I kind of realized oh you know maybe my mum had another job before I came along and um, realized that she'd had this whole other other life really which was um, amazing but as a very young child it was very very normal um, and it, it still is really you know my parents aren't massively well well known so I think that it was always um, a job for them and then they would come home and it was very very separate really so at what point did you realise your mother was so hugely loved by so many people? <laughs> oh, God. Um, I guess it was when I started at primary school and you would hear other kids talk about it. And then I would say to my mum, you know, what, what is this? What, you know, what's the Dalek? What's, what's Doctor Who? And we would start to watch them a bit at home. And then I think it really hit home for me when we went to the conventions. And that's when you really see the outpouring of love for not just mum, but for the show as, as a whole. I mean, it was just, um, well, it's its own little universe, isn't it, really? Um, so that was incredible to see. And you've done some travelling with your mother for conventions? Oh, yeah. I mean, looking back on it now, you just think as a child, you take it for granted. But um, certainly as an adult, I was so lucky. You know, we went to Australia and to America and um, all around the UK as well. So it was such a privilege, really, to, to get to go along for that that ride what are some of your memories of the uh the documentary that you're involved with making uh 30 years in the tardis it was about 93 wasn't it yeah um that was quite good fun so we filmed that in a place called Pittshanger manor which is just down the road actually from where i grew up with my parents where my parents house is um and i remember seeing the swan for the first time and just thinking it was the funniest thing i'd ever seen i was sort of tweaking his nose and mucking about with him and I'm not sure who the actor was now who was inside, but he was very patient with me. Um, but that, again, was just very normalised, really. You, you, I got very used to it because I was introduced to it so young that seeing all these monsters and doing these little filming bits and bobs, it, it became quite normal, really. Um, I was talking to Jamie Anderson, who's in it as well, I think, with his dad, um, 
Jerry Anderson of Thunderbirds fame. And I think it was kind of a bit of a similar situation for him, really, that as a little boy, he was kind of thrust into doing these awesome things. And as a child, you don't necessarily realise just how um, how amazing it is, really. Yeah, I remember uh, Jerry in that documentary saying, I've done all these different shows, Thunderbirds and this and that, and here's my son, he likes this Doctor Who instead of my stuff. So I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Poor Jamie. <laughs> um, I, actually, um, I had the privilege of meeting your mother. Um, I, in, uh, in the 90s, I came actually over to England for a convention uh, at Newcastle on Tyne, and she was at the convention. And you know, I was totally awestruck when I actually meeting her, which was, you know, she, you know, growing up, she's sort of been my companion and, and yeah, you know, and you know, I had this huge, and I sort of started talking to her, and she was signing, and she said, "Oh, you're from Australia," and I said, "Oh, yeah." What, yeah and she's, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, <laughs> I came over here to meet you, actually." And she said, "Okay, I'll meet you at eight o'clock in the bar." Um, and so she met me at eight o'clock, and I said, "Oh, you know, what do you want to drink?" And she said, "Well, you can either get me a glass or you can get me a bottle, and that will depend <laughs> how long you stay for. I'll go get a bottle." <laughs> um, and we just sat in the bar. I mean, other people came over and chatted as well, but it was just the most amazing night. Uh, with her, she's a lot of fun. Oh yeah, definitely. Message from Cyber Control. You must subscribe to the Sirens of Audio on YouTube today, or you will be deleted. How, how did you come to be involved with Big Finish originally? Because your first productions were with Sarah Jane Smith. How did that all come about? Um, I think they obviously approached Mum first and then she signed on for it. And then there was going to be this character, Natalie. Um, and my mum said, oh, well, you know, why don't, why don't we have, have Sadie try, try and do that? So um, I think it was Mum really that signed me on for that, um, which was great you know to get to do something like that with her as well you know rather than just um, being on the sidelines watching her do it to actually get to work with her as well was really special um but I think if mum hadn't have said that it was okay I think they probably wouldn't have a uh, big finish wouldn't have wanted me to do it I think it was down to mum really how old were you then because you wouldn't have been too you're fairly young still yeah, I can't remember, actually. I think I was maybe in my last year of high school, possibly, like 17, 18, possibly, I think. Um, I can't quite remember what it was. Was it 2002? 2002 and 2006. 2002. Okay, so 2002, about, yeah, about 17, and then 2006, I guess, um, a few years older than that. So young, youngish, I guess, yeah. Had you, you thought about going into acting at that stage? Was that what you were thinking about? Yeah, so um, I went to university after I finished high school and then I went to drama school afterwards and my mum died whilst I was at drama school um, and I almost got expelled because I was, she obviously was very unwell and she didn't want to tell anyone. So I would leave to go and see her, you know, and I, I actually um, stepped out of one of our, the productions that we were doing of Comedy of Errors and said, you know, I've got a family emergency, I can't do this. And my principal at the time, um, who's actually Michael Craze's brother, so uh, Peter Craze, so Doctor Who connections all over the place throughout my throughout my life, um, you know, said to me, what, what, you know, what's going on? Because you're you're going to lose your place here. Um, and then obviously, mum mum died, and everyone knew what was what was really happening. Um, and after that, I I kind of stepped away from it. So. Um, being able to do this big finish now has been really nice for me as well to kind of get to go back into it because I um, I loved it, but I just felt I couldn't keep doing it after mum died. It was a very weird period and I didn't want to access that emotional part of me, really. I needed to close it off for self-preservation, so I just couldn't, couldn't keep going with it, really. So had your mother been sick for a while and just didn't... She just didn't want um, the attention? It's difficult to say, really, because she she was away filming and I was off a lot doing my my own thing as well in, in London and she was in Cardiff and she kind of concealed it even from us a bit as well, really. Um, but when she got very ill, it was kind of a period of two months, really. Um, but I think when you're in that situation, even when it is um, a finite um end point for that person I still think there's an element where they still don't want 
people to know in some cases um, where they just want to have that, that time to deal with it themselves, really. Um, so I think it was a long period leading up to it, but the period where she was very ill was very short. Hmm. I guess it's very it's a, it's a weird situation she's in in terms of there's a level of people feel like they know her and want access to her, and yet I get the feeling she was actually still obviously quite a private person. As you said, when she had you, she decided she wanted to focus on being a mother, and she sort of stepped right back from actually to do that. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, it was, I think it was a shock for lots of people, and of course, yeah, uh, condolences to you. Because, um, oh, yeah, you. as I said, muchly loved. So with the Sarah Jane Smith, so the Sarah Jane Smith audios, um, was it, is that what put, sort of pulled her back out of retirement? Or had she, had she started doing some other acting work before then, or were people just keen to get her back? I think she was doing bits and bobs, but I don't think she'd maybe played Sarah Jane for a while before um, before they, they came out again. Um, and then <clears throat> it wasn't long after that, the 2006 ones, that she then got school reunion. So it kind of all dovetailed nicely for her, I think. Um, now, Natalie Redfern, the character that you played, so she was in a wheelchair. I must admit, I didn't realise you were that young because she sounds old, um, you know, <laughs> qu- qu- quite mature. Um, how did you go about... Mature is the word, Philip. Mature is the word. Um, <laughs> how did you go about preparing for the role? I mean, did you and your... Did, you know, did, did the director help you much? Were you working with your mother? How, how did you prepare for all that? Um, I guess you just sort of approach it like you approach um, any role. So the director was Gary Russell, I think, and he's always been um, very supportive, very like Nick Briggs, really, that they let you have um, the moment to do your own thing, feel it out for yourself, and then they kind of guide you through it rather than impressing upon you how they want you to do it. Um, but I think it's like with any character, you find that connection where um, you and the character kind of cross over um, and find the part of you that lives in them so that you can tell their story. Um, but I must admit, I haven't listened to them for such a long time. I, I don't even know if I've ever listened to them. I must I must, um, must do that, really. I've got a copy of them at my, my dad's house. I'll have to dig them out and have a listen. Well, I've been listening the last couple of weeks, and they really are top quality, like a really great series. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just. Yeah. They. They're nothing. It's, it's interesting where they came from because you can see this. There's a touch of when when your mother did it. There's a spin-off, Kane Island Company. She did. So it's got it's got a bit of a feel for that, but it's actually going much more into conspiracy theories and intrigue, which is a slightly different direction to where it would go later with the Sarah Jane Smith adventures. Uh, but yeah, they're they're great stories and they're quite exciting and it's you know her on the run and you know you're you're the aiding her and abetting her from the phones and things. So, yeah, worth listening to. <laughs> listen to them. Um, once again, I mean, they were written by some pretty big Doctor Who names, like Terence Dix, Barry Letts were writing them. Did you have any idea about who the writers were at that stage or just you just got the scripts and did them? I, I mean, I, I definitely did know who they were and had the appreciation for the, the gravitas of... Um, of their of their background and I think that's only increased really um in understanding how much they changed the course of Doctor Who and um how important they were to the story as a whole of not just for Sarah but also for the Doctor that they were writing for at the time and editing for and um what a privilege really it's such a shame that all these people aren't here anymore you know it just um oh sad really isn't it it just seems that there's this huge gulf now of just so many people connected to the program who have all passed away do you think the uh, audience that your mother did was part of the influence in terms of um getting back onto the tv show do you think they played a role or (laughs) um I, i personally wouldn't have thought so i mean i think that when russell started writing his own doctor who that he had a clear idea of where he wanted to go um and we did a documentary recently for one of the DVD releases, I can't remember which which one it is, um, and there's an interview on it with Phil Collinson who said that he and Russell had only wanted Mum for the school reunion episode, it wasn't sort of approaching any of the other companions, so I guess they must have already wanted her and thought of her for that pre um, these big finish audios, but I guess um, anything that gets you back into that public consciousness um, can't, can't help, you know, really... Um, in kind of seeing and exploring where the character might go next. 
Well, it's interesting when Big Finish wanted to do this spin-off companion series. The first person they went to immediately was Sarah Jane Smith, and when the TV show wants to, you know, wants to bring in the old companion, the first one they go to is Sarah Jane Smith. Um, she, the the role, the role really is the pinnacle companion, and I think you know if anyone ever talks about you know what what does a Doctor companion look like, um, it's always Sarah Jane's the first point of call. So with 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 your mother going to was she expect? Well, what was the step in terms of from the TV show to getting her own series? Was that something she consulted you about in terms of what was happening, or? Um, not really. I mean, from what I can remember, I think she went and she filmed School Reunion. It all went down very well, and everyone got along, and it was fine. And then I think she went out for another dinner with her agent at the time, uh, Roger Carey, and with uh, Russell, and I think possibly Phil as well. And they they offered it to her, and I think she. Um, she just thought how amazing, how lovely, and obviously just accepted it on the spot, really. Um, it all seemed to happen very, very quickly once the new show started. Um, and it was clear that they wanted to do more with Mum and with, and with the character. So I think it must have been in the works for, for quite a long time. I was actually curious about the writing that you did um, for Candy Jar. Oh, um, yes. Did you do some writing for the Lethbridge Stewart series? Yes, um, so I, I wrote a, one of their, their novels, uh, Moonblink, about uh, four or five years ago now, um, which was a really great experience. And um, Andy Frankham Allen, who is the, the editor of and owner of, of Candy Jar, was great in helping me to go through that that process because I was uh, pregnant at the time, so <laughs> I found it a bit um, uh, of a challenge, kind of juggling all these uh, projects, and then obviously the prospect of, of having a baby as well. Um, but I think that we're going to work together on on some more writing projects as well um, to do with the same the same characters, the same universe. So that will be exciting. So you've now gone back. Um, Big Fish has cast you uh, to take the role of Sarah Jane Smith. How how did that come about? When did you first hear about this? Um, so it was a couple of years ago now. Um, I just got an, an email from David Richardson, who's the producer, sort of saying, is, is this something that you'd be interested in? Would you like to do it? Um, and initially it was just to do this one story, the lost story, the return of the, the Cybermen um, audio. <clears throat> and I called my dad and I said, oh, you know, do you think I should do this? You know, is, is it going to be a bit a bit odd, odd, a bit dodgy? You know, will the fans accept it? Would mum like it? Um, and he said that he thought that it would be fine and, you know, just, just go and, and have fun. Um, and so it kind of all kicked off from that. And then when I got down to the studio on the first day, um, they kind of told me, um, David, again, the producer, that they were thinking of, of doing more with Sarah and would I like to, <clears throat> to continue to do it? So I said, oh, yeah, of course, how, how lovely. Um, so it all um, flowed quite naturally, really. What was it like meeting Tom Baker? Did you know him beforehand? Yeah, a little bit. It's strange with Tom because I think Tom always feels, um, I mean, I shouldn't obviously speak for him, but whenever you meet him, I guess you guys have met him as well. He, he kind of brings the character with him as, as well. And I think there's an element where Tom feels um, that there's this expectation of how he should come across. Um, so whenever I meet him, I feel a bit as if I'm meeting him for the first time, every time, even though I've met him quite a few times now. Um but I think when you just sit and, and chat with him, he does have obviously a lovely human side, as you know, as we all do, talking about our children and whatnot. And um, he obviously talks so kindly of mum and remembers her so fondly. And that's lovely for me to hear about his his time with her and how much fun they used to have together. Um, and being able to have that connection with him, I think, is important if I'm going to be appearing as my version, I guess, of Sarah. Um, alongside him in audio. Well, I'm curious about how you approached the role. Um, it was interesting. I mean, as I said, I love the Sarah Jane Smith audio as you did originally, and Natalie sounds nothing like Sarah Jane Smith. And so I wasn't actually expecting there to be much vocal similarities, and yet now listening to it, there's actually a lot of intonations that are very much how your mother speaks, the way she, well, my thinking of it is she's, she phrases things often to go a cadence to go up at the end of certain phrases, um, which I listen to you now. Once again, you don't sound like you naturally talk in that style that she has. So, did you do a lot of research in terms of how she spoke and how much work did you put into trying to pick up some of her, uh, yeah, vocal sounds? 
Sure. I mean, it's tricky, isn't it? Because you, you, you don't want to sort of imitate how someone speaks. You want to still find, find the performance there, but you also want people to be able to instantly hear um, the Sarah that they know as well, especially just being on audio. You've not got any other visual you know, cues for it. Um, so I watched a lot of her old Doctor Who's, especially um, Time Warrior and Pyramids of Mars, where I feel there's lots of key Sarah moments that I can kind of hang my hat on a bit. Um, and certainly for Return of the Cybermen, I try to work a lot on what you're saying, really, on, on how she speaks, how she phrases things. Um, I think because originally Sarah is not very overly written, that mum almost had to make more of certain lines or certain moments than um, to make them jump off the page and make Sarah her own, really. Because in the beginning, um, when she first joins John Pertwee's doctor, there's not always a huge amount to the character so mum's kind of trying to find those moments her, herself and she often has to unpack a lot of dialogue to kind of bring the audience along with her like ah oh, you know putting the pieces together herself and um the lovely bantering relationship with with harry as well which i think um there were it was lovely to have moments of that as well where i felt i could find um a familiarity to to sarah as well um so I, yeah, sorry, I'm waffling away. Um, but to answer you, I, I definitely did um, try and watch Mum's Doctor Who's, but I also tried not to do an imitation just because I don't think, I don't think I, I could really. I think it would come across as a bit um, a bit jarring. There's a cheekiness in some of the way she phrases things, which you started picking up. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of it's how she addresses Harry, but also the Doctor too, but there's just this cheeky way of, Phrasing things, which is it's a, a fairly plain line, and yet this is undercurrent of you know, whimsy behind it, which it felt like you were getting really well. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm so pleased that that, uh, that does come across because I was really worried when we were first doing it that I would be a bit too reverential, really, because obviously she's my mum, she's not here anymore. I don't want to do anything to you know embarrass her or do something that I think she wouldn't be happy with. So sometimes you kind of withdraw away from the fun side of it so I'm, I'm really glad that that does that does come across because I think you know Sarah does have a lot of fun doesn't she with the, with the doctor and other characters so you want to bring that out well if she wasn't having fun she wouldn't be there you'd think yeah definitely <laughs> so you're now cast alongside our Christopher Naylor as Harry um had you met Christopher before how was it like you know setting up this new relationship between Chris yourself and, and Tom Sure. I mean, I'd never met Chris before. Um, we met in a, a dark, cold day in November 2019, pre-pandemic, when we were all still allowed to meet people normally um, at the recording studio. And we sat down on the sofa and had a nice chat. And um, he he is very like Harry, really, um, or how I imagine Harry to be. He has that lovely mix of sort of masculine um, quality where he is strong and the hero but he also has a softness to him as well that sort of yin yang effect um and just a lovely personable actor and he made me feel very comfortable immediately and I think that we managed to kind of um get into that groove of the sort of brotherly sisterly bantery teasing relationship that Sarah and, and Harry have. Has it been nice pulling out your training and actually getting to do you know, you're obviously a very large creative person. You know, you're a writer, you, you studied your acting. Is it nice bringing that side out now again? Oh, it, honestly, it's so lovely. I, I, it, um, it makes me feel a bit emotional, really, because it, when I stop doing it, I feel like I stopped doing it for the right reasons. But it's still, it's still difficult because it's not just a job. It's something that you love to do so much. And it's almost like I couldn't go to the theatre for a while because it just felt painful to watch other people doing something that you love to do so much that you you don't do anymore so it was absolutely lovely it's been just the biggest dream really I feel so grateful to to get to to do it again really I'm just curious does your dad have any interest in hearing how you come across as Sarah Jane has he had a chance Mm. to hear it or yeah no so um so strange enough so obviously I asked him should I do this or not should I I take on Sarah as mum whatever and my dad said yes and then when it came out my dad said to me oh I thought you meant that they were just going to cast you in a, a small part. I, I didn't think that you were going to be Sarah. I said to him, oh, dad, you know, I bloody asked you if it was okay, you know. Um, so my dad has come round now to the idea of what's actually happening. And um, we managed to meet up at the weekend. So I, I've given him the CD and he's going to have 
have a listen to it. So I'll be really interested to hear hear what my dad said if, if uh, it gets the Brian Miller seal of approval as well. Because, of course, both your parents appeared in both the classic and the new series of Doctor Who. So that's uh, that's a pretty cool thing to think about, too. But, uh, yeah, I was just curious as to as to what he might have thought. So I'll be interested, too. I'll be watching out on Twitter. <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> yes, for, yeah, for those unsure, so Brian Miller was in both Sneak Dance and in the first Peter Capaldi Deep story, Deep Breath. It's yep. that tramp. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's great to see, see them in those two roles. So you also recorded uh, The Third Doctor Adventure of the Gulf by Tim Foley. Um, what was it like coming back to do a, a story with The Third Doctor? Well, I mean, that was something very different because obviously with Tom, you've got that anchor immediately. You know, he knows the part. He is the Doctor. He's been the Doctor. He's part of that era. And you, it immediately kind of sucks you in almost. So it, there's no explanation needed. But with The Third Doctor, obviously, you've got um, Tim Trelaw as... Um, John Pertwee's doctor so it was a very different experience and I was quite nervous really because I've still never met Tim in person um I've only ever heard him remotely from another studio um but in a way that made it easier because he sounds so like John that I could almost close my eyes and it was like John was in the room um so it was a it's a different experience but it's still one that I really enjoy and still I feel kind of gets to that same that same end goal where you kind of sit in your places and, and feel where the story's going. So the gulf was made in lockdown? Um, the gulf was made between the lockdown. So I think it was between lockdown two and three when things had opened up a bit. So it was back in September. Um, so I was able to go to a studio in London. And I think Tim was in a, a different studio, but I, um, some of the other um, cast were in the studio with me. So it still had um, a bit more of a collaborative feel than when you're doing it on, on your own. But no, I've, I've never met Tim. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when Wendy Craig was in the studio with you, I believe, was it like, um, I mean, Wendy Craig's a, a great legend of British television as well. What was it like working with her? Oh my gosh, absolute legend. She walked in on the first day. She was all, oh, hello, I'm Wendy. And I thought, oh my God, like it's Wendy Craig. And um, obviously, you know, I've stepped away from the business for a long time. So I'm thinking, it up you know don't embarrass yourself so I tried to you know keep myself together and just chat to her in a normal way and then when we when we'd finished on the second day I, I did sort of got to her and tell her how how wonderful I thought she was and how great it was to work with her um but yeah I mean obviously she's just fantastic and um she and the doctor kind of have a bit of a, a love interest relationship which I thought was obviously fantastic really because you don't normally see characters of that um well, that age group, I guess, being honest, you know, um, who get to have the romantic moments. That was very um, exciting. So Nicholas Briggs mentioned there's more Sarah coming. Um, what are you looking forward to in terms of continuing to work on playing Sarah? I mean, I guess for me, it's kind of seeing how far the character can go now, you know, which um, new places will she see? Who is she going to meet? You know, are there going to be other doctors that she meets, other assistants? What's going to happen next? And um, I just want to say it sounds really cheesy, but it's such a, a huge thank you to people who love the show that allow me to be Sarah now, you know, because I think if um, if Return of the Sidemen had come out and everyone had said, what is this? You know, this is dreadful. Then obviously it would have been kiboshed immediately. But the fact that people will allow me to go on this journey with them as well is, is so special. So every time a script turns up, it's just so exciting. And you can never predict, you know, you kind of start to think, well, maybe this sort of a story is going to be coming next. And no, wrong. It's always something so surprising, which is the best part, I think. I mean, I do think Big Finish has been very clever in terms of uh, introducing you in a safe way, in terms of the uh, <laughs> you know a, a lost script, and you know everyone wants to hear lost script, so it's, it's an easy way to accept a, a new cast member with both Harry and Sarah because both highly loved, and then you know Trim to Law. I mean, the entire cast. There's no original members in that entire set. And so it's just much easier to accept. And so yeah, that's, that's the sideways in and now it's easiest to, you're there, you're part of the furniture, people accept it, makes it much easier. Just curious, have you and Daisy ever caught up and talked about your your roles in, in reprising the roles of your mums? No, I've, I've never met Daisy. Um, obviously I met Harry John quite a lot and Jeffrey Beavers, her dad. Um, 
you worked with, with my dad quite a lot. Um, but I've never met Daisy. I think that would be lovely. I would absolutely love to meet her and um, be able to chat to her properly about it. Um, that would be wonderful. So hopefully at some point when we can all move around a bit more and meet up again, hopefully hopefully we will be able to. That would be lovely. Have you had a chance to to hear John Colshaw's rendition of The Brigadier? I have, yes. I mean, John is utterly fantastic. Um, I uh, I think it's quite intimidating when you work with someone like <clears throat> John Colshaw, really, because this is what he does. You know, he's um, the doyen of creating other people's voices, but still finding a performance behind that as well. Um, and he's such a, a nice a nice man he um he actually sent me a really lovely message um about my my Sarah being very supportive so that was obviously you know wonderful that he uh, was on board as well I, I didn't realize what a big um fan of the program he is as well um, yeah because he comes across as well he's famous for being a, a comedian um so you, you think he's is it is the his his role as the brigadier going to be comedic but it's not it's dead serious and it's uh it's absolutely incredible so uh i I can't wait for uh for 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 many more meetings between uh sarah jane and the brigadier in the future oh me too listen sadie thank you so much for your time we really appreciate you you. gear up some time and thank you for sharing some memories with your mum um but also we're just excited to have you on the canvas now and looking forward to seeing uh what you're going to bring and the fact that we're going to have a lot more stories with Sarah Jane, um, yeah, as much as, yeah, she's an amazing character. I mean, it's brought to life by your mother and dearly loved, but it's going to be great to be able to expand that canvas more. And we, we're just glad that you're part of it now. So thank you for that. Oh, and thank you so much for having me as well. It's so lovely to have, have a chat and it's so cool that you're on the other side of the world and just chatting sort of at home. So, so cool. So thank you. Goodbye, Miss Winters. And this time, Sarah Jane Smith, you'll be finished for good. Sarah Jane Smith, Mirror Signal Manoeuvre. Sarah, Josh, I've got the info you requested from the Public Records Office. Interesting stuff. Not even a small tip, either. My small tip is mirror, signal, manoeuvre as you drive away. Hi, Natalie, I really need to talk to you. There's stuff we should talk about and, and you holding out on me isn't going to help. Oh, oh yeah, there's um, there's someone from, from Planet 3 been looking for you. She's been asking after you since you went to Romania. You have uh, worked hard to locate me and uh, you have been lucky, Miss Smith, that's all. Sarah, you still haven't phoned. Well, you know that, so I suppose you must know how worried you're making me. Sarah, where are you? Well, we do seem to have a lot in common, Wendy. So, what do you think Shh. of... Shh! Hmm? Not now, I've been spotted. What? Oh, look around the boat. Casually, as though you've dropped something. Now, see the man who's trying not to look at us. At the other end of the boat. Um, tall, well-dressed bloke. Bit overdressed for this heat. Must be European. <laughs> He's been following me since Monday. Sarah, where are you? Get in touch! <sighs> with me to the car, Sarah, now, or I'll leave without you. We have to get off these islands. You're looking in your rear-view mirror all the time for something that's not there. Mirror signal manoeuvre. Oh, oh that would be too much of a coincidence. And in our paranoid little world, we don't like coincidences, do we? Good evening, Miss Smith. A pleasure to meet you once again. Well, there you go, Philip. Sarah Jane Smith. Fantastic set of audios. Uh, can hardly recommend those. Uh, it's been a long time since I've listened to them, but I think it's time I dug them out again. Yes, well, I started listening to them for this in preparation for this, and I have just been caught up in enjoying them. Um, yeah, worth listening to. They're amazing in terms of where they go. It's not where Sarah Jane would end up being. But it was a, a great little look at what they could could have done with this character on the run, um, on her own, being hunted. It's great. Yeah. So we're really grateful to, to Sadie for spending some time with us. So thank you, Sadie. Now, on to our recommendations for this week. And hang on. Where's my notepad? Let me check. 
Um, yeah, your turn, Philip. There you go. I'm going to recommend an audio book. Uh, one of the things that I've been looking forward to for a very long time is the next set of uh, Target novels to have been released. Finally completing the classic Doctor Who set with the last last bits to fill up my collection. But also uh, looking forward to the new books coming out based on the new series. And the one that I was most looking forward to was Dalek by Rod Sheerman. Uh, we're huge fans of, of, of uh, his work. Uh, his big finished works and stories are great. Dalek, I thought, is still probably one of the best constructed Doctor Who episodes in New Who. He just nailed everything that you need to nail in the right order. And so I was looking forward to seeing what he did with the book. Um, so it's narrated by Nicholas Briggs, uh, which is you know, typical because it's Dalek. You sort of expect Nicholas. Nicholas does a great job with the, the audio. But the book itself... He does is a good just, Ninth Doctor, doesn't he? He does do a good Ninth Doctor. He does a great Ninth Doctor. But the book itself is just magnificent. So, once again, how do you take our episodes and make a, a whole novel into them? Uh, there's just these amazing chapters throughout where he focuses on a character from the story and gives you the whole backstory. And so you have these oh, wow. little chap, you have these chapters along the way, which which fill in this beautiful picture of this whole character. And usually they die straight afterwards, or <laughs> or not. Um, but a lot of the characters, and, and there's some interesting backstory of God Goodard in particular. Uh, what she's really doing there and what's really going on, which wasn't in the TV show, but made, makes a nice addition. I think the best target novels are the ones that play around with the story and add. So, you know, I still I still have images in my head, like Collie in Space, where they actually start on Earth, overpopulated, and you have all these backstory which was put into the novel, which isn't in the TV show, but I can still see it in the show because in my head, the two have merged. And I think what Robert Sheeman has done with Daleks done the same thing. So yeah, does it still re- does it have his quirky, quirky way of writing in the in the prose style? Yes, it does. Though I've started Mark Gattis's book at the moment on the Crimson Terror, Crimson, Crimson Horror, yeah, Crimson Horror, and that is far quirkier in terms of style. Oh, right. Um, okay. Yeah. So the way the way Mark Gattis has done his is amazing as well. So it's just exciting seeing people playing around and, and doing these things. So, yeah, get get the books and get the audio books. Sweet. What have you been listening to, Dwayne? Well, I've been listening to, over the last few days, uh, The Doomsday Contract, was a, which is the uh, lost story that was released alongside Return of the Cybermen. It was originally written by John Lloyd for the Douglas Adams era. And adapted by Nev Fountain. We spoke to Nev Fountain about this uh, a couple of months ago, um, well before the release. And he he said at the time that it was it was very quirky. It was very out there, and he was not kidding. It was insane, and it was an utter delight to listen to from start to finish. It's just perfect. It's um, you can tell that that John Lloyd was uh, closely associated with Douglas Adams. He was closely associated at the time with Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, the similar themes. But I just I just love that quirky humour. And uh, the older I get, the funnier I like things. And this is just funny from start to finish. So the Doomsday Contract, Lost Fourth Doctor Adventure, you've got to get it. Have you heard that one? I, I have I actually think it is probably the best Tom Becker Lala Ward story there has been with Big Finish. Could have could have pipped the trouble with Drax. Could have. Uh, yeah, actually oh, that's a good one too. But in, in terms of the last last few releases with Lala Ward and Tom Becker, I have not been overly impressed by. Um, but this, yes, it was entertaining from go to woe and. I made extra time to listen to finish it off because I was enjoying it so much. And you're right, just clever, very funny. Um, there are there are Hitchhiker's Guide moments in it, uh, but yeah, definitely. But it's not a copy, to. so no, no, not not at all. It, but it, it, it does have its unique style, so it has a flair. Yeah, great choice, Dwayne. I, I did notice that on the extras that Lala had some very nice complimentary things to say about Tom, which I thought was nice. Did yes, you pick up on that? I did, which I think she feels free she to make when she's in Singapore and he's in the UK. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Very, Very good. good. It, it, was, right. it was nice that, to hear. 
That'll do us for this uh, installment of the Science of Audio. Make sure you tune in again next time. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye, Philip. Goodbye, Dwayne. Goodbye, audiophiles. Goodbye, everybody. See you next time. You have been listening to the Sirens of Audio, episode 60, Sadie Miller, The Return of Sarah Jane Smith, with your hosts, Philip Edney and Dwayne Bunny. Theme music by the Jackpot Golden Boys. Email address sirensofaudio at gmail.com for all podcast, YouTube and social media locations visit sirensofaudio.com If you have not yet subscribed to the Sirens of Audio Cyber Control will provide you with an immediate upgrade and subscribe you at the same time we install your emotional inhibitor because audio drama is so cool!